Three, two, one. Welcome to another episode of YA Dad and Daughter. This time we're talking about The Mortification of Phobia Munson by Mary Wynne Hayter. Yay. Hi, welcome to YA Dad and Daughter. My name is Andy Asian. I am the dad. I am Samara. I'm the daughter half. And uh, today we are talking about uh, a novel that was published uh, in 2000. Wait, see, I should know these things. Uh, I'm guessing 18. It was published in 2018. Um, It's called The Mortification of Phobia Munson by Mary Wynne Hayter. And it was published by Disney Hyperion in 2018. This is another... Another book that came recommended by Bigfoot Reads. This one's a more middle grade book, but it was interesting and very weird. Very weird, which, you know, we're not afraid of. Talking heads, everybody. Talking heads. By the way, they're not not attached to a body. Not attached to a body. Well, so we can get into that a little bit more. Um, Real quick, what what have we been up to since our last one? We've We've been doing a lot of stuff. School. We've had school. Samaria's had a lot of school. I've had a lot of work. We played a lot of good board games. Yay, board games. Um, are fun. What are some of them? We played Runebound. Yeah, that was fun. We played other games. Fortune and Glory. That was a yeah. good one. Um, Samaria and I like to test out new board games that, that I buy, and uh, we've uh, definitely had a couple great sessions. Since like half the games in our house have been played like once. Yeah, it's my fault. I'm a notorious collector and non-opener of games um but yeah so if you ever want to send us a board game please uh, don't hesitate to, to add to our collection but i digress um so yeah today we're talking about uh this book which has an awesome name and when we got it in the mail um one of the first things i said and then uh samara's mom said was it was a really cool looking book like the design on it i love the name i think the mortification of phobia months is just like one of those names it's, it's so cool and so unique and you'll never You'll never um, mistake it for another book. And I think the the art style and the the brightness and the whole design of the thing was really really cool. Um, Samara's mom is a graphic designer, so she was like, "Ooh, what is this?" And was like looking through it. So um, a great job as far as all of that goes. Um, but Samara, do you want to kind of give us a quick, <laughs> if it's possible, to sum up this this book? So there is a girl. Her name is Fovia Munson. Apparently, Fovia means eyeballs, so her name is Eyeballs. Yes, eyeballs. Like yes. she does a lot of explain having to explain that as well to people who. Yes. Okay. One part, someone thinks her name is Phobia, and they go off on a tangent. So her name is Phobia Munson. Uh, why is her name eyeballs? Because most people, I don't think, would name their child eyeballs. Um, her parents are cadavers, and they, they're not. They're not cadavers. They're not. No, they work with cadavers. They work with cadavers. Yes. Sorry. Get that confused a lot. There's lots of big words. In there are a lot here. of big words in this because her parents are uh, doctors who work on um, dead bodies. They work on dead bodies. So they work with cadavers. Sorry about that uh, before. And they named their kid Eyeballs. And so... There's a general feeling of like her parents have kind of this very weird lifestyle and like very specific interests and in all of their humor and everything you know a lot of puns about medical and anatomical words and uh yeah her parents are pretty wacky in short they're really weird and they're obsessed with hippocrates the 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 hippocratic oath um 
Uh, hence her middle name. Isn't that her middle name? Uh, probably. I don't remember. But they have like giant portraits of him everywhere and they they name things after him and they, they make a rap. All they try him. to impress her with their amazing parent rap about um, Hippocrates. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Probably not. Um, Yay, big words. Yeah, so they run a lab, right? And she, in Chicago, and the, the kind of the book setup is when she has to go work there, right? Yeah, so their old secretary, Whitney, does not work there anymore. And so they, they, they're like, oh, you, you can work with us now. It's going to be all fun. You'll work, <laughs> you'll work as our secretary, basically meaning she has to sit in a desk in an office with a giant picture of that medicine guy. I forget his name. It's too hard to pronounce. And a fish tank. And she gets to sit there for hours doing absolutely but nothing. But she gets a cool white lab coat. Yes. Her parents make for her, which, as she points out, she's not a doctor, so she shouldn't be wearing a lab coat. But they wanted her to have one. Yeah. Um, future doctor of America. So Hook, so Hook, then she's there working um, for the summer. They're delighted. She's a little bit bummed. And then what happens? It's it's either the, the, the weird guy comes in or she meets the talking heads. Well, let's go. Let's do talking heads because that's sort of the, the big so, through line of the book. At one point... Uh, she goes into the lab. I forget why. Wasn't she like... Didn't she, she hears voices. Yeah, she hears voices. And she thinks I'm sort of burglar or something. So she goes in the lab. And hey, guess what? There are um, some heads that were just delivered earlier sitting on the table defrosting. And hey, guess what? They're talking to each other. That's not weird at all. No, they, they, they definitely don't treat it like it's weird. Yeah. It's like, oh, just talking to... The yeah. only person who acts like it's weird is just phobia because... Talking heads. She first thinks the zombie apocalypse mm-hmm. because talking heads, but she kind of dismisses, sort of dismisses that. And they dismiss it too because they're, they're not like evil and they don't want to like eat her brains or anything. Also, the fact that they're, they're not ghosts either because there's only like, or at least they say I think 70% of them is ghosts because there's only a head left. <laughs> Something like that. So then, so she meets these heads, right? And, and what kind of ensues from there? The, there's another head that, um, sorry, there's another head that finishes defrosting. There are three heads. Apparently there was a fourth head, but the fourth head is missing. Yes. That's the mystery, right? Yes. But enough of that. Let's talk the parts where the heads apparently sing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Yeah. So the heads sing, the heads sing and the three heads need a fourth. Yes. In order to make a quartet. Yeah. They, they need, like, a certain type of singer. Yes. And so, I forget what it was. Either a tenor or bass, I don't remember. No, it wasn't either of those. It was, no, like, B-A-R-I. Baritone. Baritone. So, they need a baritone. And so, they're like, phobia, phobia, we need, like, a baritone. And they're, she, she, um, talking heads. So. <laughs> You're she, like, and in case anyone is not following this, talking heads. And so, she, uh, phobia only knows one person who can sing, and that's this kid how, what's his last name? Something like Burger. I want to say Burger. <laughs> how, what's his last name? So, she, um, she heard him sing once, and like like some choir chorus thingy. And so she knows he can sing. And uh, background on how, what's his last name? Apparently, they, he was doing some sort of puppet show for class. And during the asking questions section, she raised her hand to ask question, a question, and then he walked out of the room. And everybody stared at her, like, really, like, awkwardly, because he just walked out of the room after she asked the question. So that, that's just the background on who, who he is. Yeah. And she has this weird thing where he's, they kind of knew each other. He's, he's. But since that moment, it's been. It's kind of awkward. Yeah. And There's so, a lot of that awkward, like, 
weird stuff with friends going on. Yeah, like M, wasn't that her name? Yeah, M. Uh, talk more about her later. And so she calls How, and she's like, hey, How, we need, I need you, are you a, whatever it's called. And, I need a fourth head. <laughs> well, she doesn't say that. She she's say not going to be like. She does give it up pretty fast. Like, she does be like, she, he finds out pretty quickly. Yeah, that's mostly because he takes off the blindfold. Yeah. Okay, so, and his mom in the background is like, like, oh, how, yeah, he's he's such a great singer. And so, and she's like, he's not whatever type of singer he is, but he can fake it. And so, how comes over, and she's like, here, put on this blindfold, they don't want to be seen. And then later, he takes he takes off the blindfold. Pretty fast. And finds out their heads. And he handles it pretty well. Actually, very well. If I found out that, I, that there were heads, I would probably run screaming from the room. Well, she barfs. She right. does she barfs and she has a lot of trouble, uh, you know. As and then any there's there's, there's just would. there's just how it's like oh talking heads, okay. Yeah, and I think the rest of the time they're pretty careful about who they reveal this truth to. Yep. Um. So yeah. So so how becomes part of the quartet? They want to record an album or a song and then have like a big like release party, which is it's kind of like it complicates things some more. So she has to kind of put together this whole evening where she has to or- organize. A recording studio session, all of them sneaking out and going to it, and then hold, like holding a big party. Let's complicate things more. Yeah. Let's meet her crazy grandmother and her former best friend. Yes. Just hearing us talk about the, the plot, a lot of wacky characters kind of thrown into different situations, um, kind of letting their, their different storylines play out and play off each other. I think that happens a lot. So by the end of it, I think Phobia has, has sort of learned some lessons about her own life and kind of the transitions she's been going through. And when, what, when, what do you think is kind of the big thing for her that she's been going through in this in the book? So, I mean, so she has this, this best friend. So she's, uh, uh, she's 12 and she's, what, in seventh grade? Yeah, seventh grade. And, and so she had this best friend, but then this best friend met someone else who shared more of, like, her interests and stuff. And so... They're not best friends anymore. Mm. And so Phobia's kind of sad about that. When they go out to sneak out to the recording studio, she's dressed as a kidney, by the way, because... I don't really remember why. <laughs> I think it's because she needed, like, some disguise, so she dressed as a kidney. And but then he's dressed like broccoli. He's got, like, broccoli, <laughs> like, hanging off of him. I did not understand that part, but that's okay, because... It was it was all good. So she goes to, like, pick up how, and, hey, guess who's just randomly there? <laughs> it's her best, oh, her friend, best friend, M. Her former best friend, M. They have to they have to blindfold her and tie her up with a strand of, like, radishes or something. <laughs> and, yeah. And just drag her along for the trip. Yeah. And so, quick thing. This is how they drag her along. They get the rolly cooler to put the heads in. Yeah. Because how else are they going to store the heads? So, she rides around the rolly cooler with the heads in it, blindfolded and tied up with a strand of vegetables. And Hal's dressed as broccoli and, or something. And she's dressed as a kidney. And, yeah, and then eventually Grandma joins the crew, and she's driving along in her mo- in her little scooter. It's, it's like a little parade through Chicago. So yeah, and the grandma she she lives which I love in- by the way. I love those sorts of I love those weird moments when I can I can picture a scene, and there's just like all of these strange details, and it, and it it's, it's something you've never seen before, and you can imagine it in your head. So the grandma she lives at like a swan the Swan Song retirement community. Yeah, and she is. Um, she does stuff there and she has this lady who she doesn't like. If I'm correct, like at some point she's like, I'm not going to eat here at all because this lady set up the menu. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, the, the swan song, there's, 
Um, Grandma Nan. Uh, Van. Grandma Van. She's a feisty old lady, a lot to say, and drives around in her scooter. And, and it's interesting. I'm going to talk about this more, but her, she's like ready to die. Like she's, she's like, oh. like, you know, whatever. I'm I'm done anyway. But she but she does find a lot of lot to live for, sort of in that rivalry with Julia Klinger, I think, who's the woman who runs the activities at the senior center. And the two of them sort of have conflicting ideas about how things should be run. So they have this rivalry, and it kind of gives Grandma Van, I think, a little bit of a motivation. To Doesn't at some point she like gets off her motor scooter and just walks around? Yes, and then there's the, the reveal that she she she's totally fine walking around if she wants to. She um, gets off her motor scooter. Yeah, there's a lot of great like character moments where characters who are already really bizarre kind of become more bizarre. It's like, oh yeah, I just, just felt like riding around my motor scooter all the time. Why, yeah. why should I walk? That's kind of, I mean, and so they, they have this party. It ends up being this like, really great thing for Phobia and for How and for M, her best friend, and for Grandma. And it, it kind of becomes this unexpected moment where they all life is really good for all of them and they kind of and for phobia herself she sort of realizes some things about her life and everything so that's one part of it there is still it. a whole part about the missing head that's like whitney plot, right? and creepy cremation guy cremation. <laughs> <laughs> he was pretty awesome what was his name i don't remember but if i'm correct okay. she was like really set on dating talking. whitney because she was like nice to him once yeah. and now he just really wants to date her <laughs> poor whitney He's really bummed that, that Whitney took off with this boyfriend that I don't think he knew about. That brings up a, who is this boyfriend? Well, he um, works at the crematorium, right? Which is, it, it, it's sort of a rival in itself of the medical dissection lab, right? Because they, they take the remains and they just like burn them. He's, he loves burning things. He's like, that's his favorite thing. He's like, I'll do your pets. And she's like, pets? And he goes, I did an alligator once, which is his claim to fame. And so... He at one point comes by the lab, and was he asking after Whitney? He was asking after Whitney, yeah, because he he sent her all these letters, he left her all these text messages, He's all these creepy, creepy, creepy love letters. Yeah, Whitney's the, used to be the receptionist at the lab, but she left with her mysterious boyfriend. At one point, Whitney comes back, and like uh, right at the end, when everything's sort of coming to a head, she shows up. And so, but he's like, "Oh, aren't you with your boyfriend?" She's like. Yeah, but he like, but I had to bury him at the side of the road. <laughs> well, so why don't you go ahead and, and, and do the the spoilerific uh, reveal of sort of what, so all, how also all the plot another, lines come tangling. Uh, there's a third, untangling. actually, th- one thing we're missing before the spoiler reveal is the parents are in trouble because they are missing a head. The fourth head is missing, so the parents are kind of getting in trouble for that. Right. If they find out that they lost like a piece of biohazard material, which is, I guess, That's what that events are, it's really good and they can get their lab shut down, which now Phobia thinks it's her fault. Because it happened on her watch. And so, uh, now, big spoiler, buddy. So Whitney comes, and she's like, oh, I had to bury my boyfriend on the, the side of the road. He was a head. The, oh, the fourth head is Whitney's boyfriend, who died. Dead. Dead. <laughs> they were going to Vegas <laughs> to get married, and they were going to be a singing duo, right? Yep. Because, of course, he was the fourth part of the singing group. This is what we need to do. We'll find out the name of the... Why can't I find the name of the... I'm... I'm, I'm Brand We're going to call him Creepy Cremation Guy for now. Creepy Cremation Guy. Oh, it's so bad. Um, anyway, so let's talk about that. I think that's a segue into a very interesting study of, like, death and... First question. First question. Why are the heads alive? Second question. Why do they die at the end? Why do they die at the end? That is a good question. Um, yeah, death is very strange. So this book, I, I was thinking about it. I would call this book like magical realism, right? Because it's in a, it's it's set in a world that's grounded, but there are fantastic 
fantastical elements such as talking heads such as talking heads they you know everything's a little bit of a heightened reality like you know grandma van and the kidney suit and all the stuff it's like it could happen but it couldn't happen it's a little bit like how how you ruin my life in that way i mean i would say obviously this has like true fantastical elements in it such um, talking heads such as talking heads so i think it was much more like magical realism but there's a weird there's some, there's some interesting like thoughts on like death and making the most of life um, it has a deeper meaning in there somewhere. It does. Somewhere. Having relationships with other people, with your family. And it's interesting because these lessons are coming from all these weird disembodied heads <laughs> that are treated in this comical yet, this comical way, yet there's this like really intense sort of deep meaning that's going on or deep conversation that's happening beneath it. So she finds these heads, right? We don't really know why they're alive. The parents don't know they're alive. It almost feels like one of those stories where the kids can see things that the parents can't, almost to where it's like, magical in that way i guess the grandmother sees him at one point or i don't know if she does but m and how and the three kids see them all but wait no she heads. sees them but wasn't she blindfolded the entire time she may have been blindfolded i don't remember but i i, I guess how more and to the point, how and phobia can both see them more to the point is that it's really done for like comedy there's a lot of joking around with the heads about how they have no bodies about how they're dead about how they you know they're stuck in this freezer and it's really it gets really descriptive and kind of gross you know when she's talking about they're like oozing and she has to use like salad tongs to move them from place to place and there's like at one point she's shaking how's hand and she hasn't washed her hands since she's touching the head and she's like i'm getting head slime i'm passing it on to how you know that stuff's really funny but then you've got this like really creepy kind of dark part to it that the whole place the whole story takes place in this lab and there's all these dead people or these cadavers you know, they're definitely the conversations where people talk about death. The grandmother talks about death a lot. And then at the end, she realizes there's something kind of more to live for. And Fovia has that heart to heart discussion with one of the heads. So the heads are McMullen, Andy, Lake, Lake and, and Ted. then Ted. Then the, the missing dead head is dead. But McMullen. Deadhead Ted. Yeah. And so then at the end, after their dreams are kind of fulfilled and Fovia helps them. They have been cut up yeah she comes in the next day and her parents have like dissected these heads like they're like covered in like lacerations and and like their their brains are exposed stop and then she has this like the other two are dead (laughs) like dead dead and then she has this conversation with mcmullen about how he wished he would have done more to embrace the relationship he had with his son and she kind of passes this information onto her and says like like live your life to the fullest and it's really sad, and it's and yeah. and she has this like kind of deep moving moment, but it's definitely like like up like the tone feels like because she's second. talking about bowling with this like head, and and you know it's a bit of both. It is. Did you find it? Did you find those conversations moving, or did you have trouble separating I'd, between? I felt both kind of. You felt it was, both. It was definitely moving, but it was also like kind of funny. And so, at the very end. The cremation guy comes back, right? Yeah, he's still so he's trying to blackmail them. He says that he knows where the, or he has the the missing piece of body part or whatever that was taken, and that he won't give it back unless Whitney goes on a date with him. I think. And, and so Whitney. he's been threatening them the whole time to like put the thing out, put the the lab out of business. And so at the very end, they are. Like outside the lab, I think. Yeah, and, and House set Whitney's car on fire <laughs> as a distraction. And uh, Fovia rolls uh, McMullen, I think, and knocks this is the cremation guy yeah. off his feet. And then she gets hit by a car. The culmination of all the moving pieces. A nice little symphony of 
wackiness. I think the words shenanigans and hijinks come into play a lot with this book. But the reason she throws McMullen's head, right, is because he was a bowler and he's always talking about bowling. And so the last second she tries, she ends up like framing the cremation guy by rolling McMullen's head like a bowling in right between his legs where when the cops show up, they see him with in possession of this piece of material that's illegal to have outside the lab. And they think he did it. And so she saves the day by getting him put in the slammer and then right. Thoughts, and then, then as she's victorious, she gets hit by a car. And isn't it Julia's car? I think it, I want to say it's Julia's Julia car. Klinger. I think it is. Yeah. And so the grandma gets all really, really mad because she <laughs> grandma was just hit by the lady she doesn't like's car. And so don't worry, she's fine. She just gets a concussion. So she's not dead. Though I think at one point she's like, Am I dead? And she's like up in heaven with 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 the creepy with the medicine guy who her parents really like. Who is he? Hippocrates. Um and there's like a frog or something there. Yeah, there's the frog that she was in, they were dissecting in class earlier. <laughs> and so they're all they're all up there and they have this this interesting talk. And then she wakes up and she has a concussion, and which would explain the bizarre thoughts. Yeah, the dream of being dead. Another thing I was thinking about was the rules of the world. There's aspects of magical realism about it. I, I'm definitely willing to like bend those a lot. In that genre, you can do anything, but there aren't always set rules, which is one of the reasons why it's like strange and surprising things can happen. But in this one, like I definitely conflicted about whether or not I wanted those rules or not because I definitely wanted to know why certain things could not be dead or why certain things would come back why certain things wouldn't yeah why didn't like one of like the legs that were delivered start like kicking <laughs> well they talk about that a little bit don't they they talk about I think she talks she 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 wonders she does a lot of wondering about like what those rules are right like she actually acts as a proxy for the the audience when they first come alive she freaks out and she says like does that mean when grandma van dies she's not really she's gonna come back or something and those are the questions I was kind of asking too, especially when the heads die at the end. I'm like, why do they die now? And I think did, they used. Did, go ahead. Did, was something like were they supposed to like fulfill something? That's, like that's, yeah. that's so like because like before they they weren't dead. They come back. They wanted to like do this singing group thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, was that something they all wanted to do before they died? Is that something they wanted to do before they were frozen? Mm-hmm. Like is that like did they all meet each other? Like whoa, you guys can all sing. And so I noticed that like Ted died when when he was with Whitney, and mm-hmm. then after they all like did their whole like singing thing and got their uh got recorded, that's when the heads died. And after McMullen had like that talk with Fovia, mm-hmm. and so were they supposed to, like fill like some sort of something before they died? I think you're exactly right. I think that's the logic that was used, and I think I mean that's it's a logic that's been used in a bunch of different stories like movies and television shows and some books where there's one thing left to do before you can move on to whatever's next but when you when you set that kind of rule it does create more questions if people can stay come back from the dead as a disembodied head um, because they want to do a barbershop quartet (laughs) makes you wonder what about all the people who missed a loved one or wanted to you know, save someone's life or... Why don't... Ev- why why doesn't, doesn't people... Why are there zombies? <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, zombies 
like to eat the brains. No, but different type of zombie. What about a different type of zombie? Not like lovable zombies. Lovable zombies, yes. No, why don't just people come back? Let's just say that. Why yes. don't they come back from their like graves, the crawl place. out, and just be like, <laughs> like Thriller, the video. <laughs> yeah, and then just like hang out with their families, or like that would be kind of creepy because technically you can never die. Because like say like you have like one big thing that you want to do. Well, you, if you want to do that big thing, well then it's gonna take you a long time to die. So that just brings up that kind of why mm-hmm. like why what when where yeah who, no it does what? there's a great movie that you haven't seen yet called Shaun of the dead where it's it's like a very um just sort of boring ordinary look at what would, what would happen if like a zombie apocalypse happened to like a really lazy ordinary british guy uh in the middle of a small town and it's like the zombie apocalypse happens and at the end his friend becomes a zombie but He's still alive because he's just a zombie and he can't really die. So his friend has him locked up in the shed and he goes back and plays like PlayStation with him every day, <laughs> which is what they were doing at the beginning when he was alive. It's like the exact same life. But now his friend's like chained up and like drooling. And but he goes back when his when his girlfriend is busy and he sneaks out and goes and plays PlayStation with a zombie friend. But yeah, I'm wondering like if everybody came back, like you'd have all these zombies hanging around. I really liked that the, the story took place in Chicago. It was a really well evoked setting i thought it was cool to have like the subway and the apartment buildings and her walking around downtown was really cool dressed as a kidney dressed as a kidney and i thought all the like the the detail and the 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 description and the images of fovia and her friends were you know they were a really memorable group of people that uh you know i I love character stuff like that i love i love weird eccentric characters that that drive the story instead of having like the story drive them you know that was pretty cool so overall, it was a great, super weird book. Super weird book. I, you know, so so let's talk about the two. There's another. Let's talk about M. So I think that's Fovia's main emotional storyline. And I thought it was interesting because you know we talked a little bit about stakes. We talked about the stakes with how you ruined my life with what was his name? Rod. There was Rod and Blake. Rod. Rod. Short um, for Rodney. It's interesting because in that one, there is a frog dissection scene just like there is in this one it was a rat dissection scene oh is it a rat dissection okay yes because remember blake loves rodents oh right because in this one there's the one where the, i think a, a kid Devin like sets it on fire or something no wait, he didn't no, set it on fire. Set on fire he like puts it over his head and like shakes it and all the guts come out because they're talking about it. so phobia's nickname is igor because her parents work at a cadaver lab and all the kids find mm. out and call her igor dr frankenstein's like little lab assistant yeah, there's a there's a frog dissection scene, and then there are parts where which I thought were interesting in the first person, where she talks about the writing that's coming up, or she talks about chapters and events that are to come in the book, like she's telling the story. Did you notice that? Maybe. I there's might one have. Point where she's like, it gets kind of gross coming up, which reminded me a lot of when. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I did notice that. I also liked the uh, chapter titles. Oh, they were great. Uh, it was. They all. It was. What's his face? Uh, Hippocrates. It's like, did not do this, did not do that. Um, and the later last one, I think, is Hippocrates was never a 12-year-old girl. <laughs> and so... Yeah, like, but here's an example. Uh, Hippocrates did not feel shy in surprising social situations. Exactly. Um, and so, yeah, those are great. He's kind of the model by, by which your parents... Live by. Live by, right. He's a good example. So, uh, yeah, the character of M is Phobia's best friend, or was Phobia's best friend. Until she met some other girl who, like, they shared more interests and stuff, so they became best friends. And Fovey kind of lost her only friend, so she's kind of sad about that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's her biggest, I think, her biggest emotional beat. Like, it's the storyline that she keeps returning to. 
And at the end, she realizes that she doesn't that, that she and M aren't really compatible. That they don't like not just they don't share interests, but they're not really good friend candidates. Yeah, sort of. Actually, that reminds me at the end of how you were in my life. It's like they're on a friendly basis, but they're not friends. But she does have a new a new friend. Yep, and that's how. Okay. Yeah, just want to make sure I got that right. Yeah, I didn't like M all that much. Yeah, I didn't really like her either. I, well, I mean, I think we're not, we're supposed to find her a little bit a little um, annoying, but her obsession with everything being interesting and not yeah. being boring was a little bit uh, intense. Uh, was, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I guess at, at that, I mean, you can tell me more than I, I know, but you can tell me at, the, at that age. I guess she she was really interested in just having interesting friends and kind of being. Somebody who uh, whose life was exciting and phobias apparently wasn't exciting enough. Yeah, because both, yeah, and also I mean, the only thing she ever found interesting about phobia was the cadaver lab. And she was like, "Can I go in the lab? Can I go in the lab?" And I was like, "No, no, you can't go in the lab." Yeah, because she knew it was only to sort of make her into more of a joke. Yeah, and also M's not a lot in the lab. The only reason phobia ever went into the lab is because she heard voices. And then she had to kind of keep going back in there because heads. The heads, yes. And then there's the the family thing, too, at the end. Like, you know, Phobia gets to talk to her parents. and She's like, I don't want to be a doctor. <laughs> I know you guys really want me to be a doctor, but I don't. And so she's no longer future doctor of America. She's uh, future of America. They just call her future of America. The future, yeah, America. But after they're like, she's like, I don't want to be future doctor of America. You don't, asked my dad. Future nurse of America? My mom tried. I shook my head. Future dentist of America? <laughs> Dad, no. Ooh, future physical therapist of America. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how all she needed to do was tell them that and for them to hear it. But they just kept kept assuming and, and just not really paying attention to what she wanted to tell them. And then finally she just had to say straightforward, directly, I am not interested in the things that you're interested in. And they go, oh, that's completely fine. Yeah, her parents are one of the best parts of the book because they are the t- the dorkiest parents. So, I mean, you've got a, two dorky parents. Sarah. You guys are great. Um, well, I kept thinking about that. I kept thinking, oh, my gosh, like, is this how bad it is for, for Samara? Because her mom and I have really bad jokes. We can be really dorky. I mean, we are not we are we are not obsessed with a, an ancient Greek doctor, but and 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 body parts and but yeah we don't we don't like but i mean i guess see I, i'm surprised that would i guess maybe in middle school maybe in high school it would be cooler if your parents were at the cadaver lab in middle school it's more of an embarrassing thing that's something that i don't know enough about because um, you do not work in a cadaver lab and i don't live in middle school in high school it's been a long time since i have but i really hope for me and your mother to you that we do not embarrass you this you much. are great moving on what did you make of the banana tell me about the banana what banana? The holographic banana. Oh, yes. So one of her favorite places is the uh, like hologram museum. And her favorite thing there is the holographic banana. <laughs> because she just finds it so simple and perfect. Not to be confused with the holographic Michael Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Does that forget the holographic? Is it holographic or a hologram? I guess it could be a holographic banana or a banana hologram. Yeah. Same. I guess same, same thing. And so... She loves this holographic banana. She just loves the simplicity of it. And what I, the reason I love simple things is first, uh, first is because with a simple thing, you can, you have to get it just right. Because with like more complicated things, there's so much going on that you can co- sort of just miss it. Mm-hmm. But with a, some, a, such a simple thing, 
everything is perfect because it has to be just right. Otherwise, people will notice like the the mistake. And I don't really know why I should love the holographic banana so much. That's what I'm curious about your thoughts on because there are there's a couple different points. She she thinks about it a lot. It's like her happy place. Like she's like, holographic. how do I pick banana? How do I go pick banana? It's when she's stressed out or when she's trying to like sort of center herself when things get desperate or and I you know so at the end I looked this up before we were recording today because I wanted to kind of remember what it came back to she talks about how she likes it because with holograms you can break them down and break them down and break them down and break them down but they're always the same like it's not like it disappears or like it's broken into pieces it's always the same full banana just like smaller 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 but it's the whole thing and it's always there no matter what Um, there was that part of it and then there's the idea that a hologram is a beautiful perfect thing but it's, there's nothing there like you can put your hand through it there's no yep. substance wait do holograms exist <laughs> yes okay i just want to know you know what, can I mean, they make holographic michael jordans yes do you, i mean do you know what a hologram is? i mean this is maybe a dumb question but so when, when i was growing up like a thousand years ago they had ho- like hologram stores and stuff were really cool it was like this hot new technology that they you could you would go into a store i remember going to them as a kid and they were in like tourist areas and stuff like that. And you'd go in and they had all these little holograms you could buy. They were set up almost like a museum or an art gallery where they had holograms of like famous people or like famous buildings or objects. And they looked real and they would you could buy it and it would like, I guess, project there on like a little pedestal. And you could like put your hand through it and everything. But it would look like a little 3D representation of something with light. And they were really trendy. And that trend obviously went away. And so I don't you never see those anymore. But... I can imagine how where the author thought, got this idea, you know, because I remember seeing those places. And I guess the place is closed, too. The, the Hologram Museum is closed in this book, which is why she kind of looks in. She's like, oh, I remember the Hologram Museum. But uh, to me, it was more about she has like a perfect image of something. And that's her relationship with M. Yep. And it's not real. Yeah. Yeah, actually, yeah, I, I didn't think of that. Yeah, because it, it looks perfect, but it's not real. It's not actually like, yeah. there. And so she's thinking about what it used to be. Yeah. And it's a holographic banana. <laughs> yeah. Now I'm just going to relate everything to holographic bananas. Well, uh, we should probably wrap it up. But um, uh, the morphication of events was great. It was funny. It was weird. It had lots of great characters. And it and it was very interesting. And had that like nice, under, uh, it had like an undertone of something. I don't know. Like a deeper meaning. Deeper meaning. Yeah. Deeper that. meaning. Yeah. And I, I think... Uh, it, so I guess I'm looking at the the author notes and um, Mary Wynn. She Hader, worked at a cadaver lab. Yeah, Hader. I really hope I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, just like I pronounced so, um, Hippocrates wrong. But um, yeah, pronouncing wrong. Not so Socrates, Hippocrates. Bill and Ted reference. No, but I was gonna say that I think it says that she she's a member of a theater company, Barrel of Monkeys, and I can totally see that with this book. It feels like it could easily be adapted into like a play. With all the different I scenes would watch and that. characters, and it's very you know I, I didn't we didn't talk about this at all, but it has some great funny screwball elements to it. I, I, I've noticed that in one of the the blurbs on the book about it being a screwball, but there's some wonderful screwball moments where we have characters hidden in one room listening to something in the other room and misunderstanding what they're saying, and then a lot of humor coming out of that, and it's just just a, a lot of meaty funny stuff in this book, and I would recommend it. So. Yeah, Mortification of Phoebe Munson. Read it. It's good. Awesome. Well, Samara, um, we'll figure out what we're going to do next time. And uh, as always, check us out on Twitter. Yeah, we're done. Yeah, okay.
Goodbye. Goodbye. I'll see you next time.